Well, there were four students from UCCS that decided they wanted to blow off some steam. They were engineering students, and it was finals week. It's like, hey, man, let's get away. Let's get up to Denver. When they went to a concert, and they actually ended up partying a little bit too hard, and so they didn't make it back for the next day for one of their finals. And so when they came back, they're like, oh, man, this is going to mess up our graduation. Like, we've got to be able to make sure that our professor will allow us to, to finish this final. And so they went to the professor and made up this tall tale and they're like, hey, like, we're so sorry we're in Denver, and then we got a flat tire, and we couldn't get back in time, and so can we re retake the final? And he said, sure. So what I need you to do is show up tomorrow at 9.30 a.m. I said, okay, great. So the four students come back the next day, and to their surprise, the professor put them in four separate rooms, and he gave them a piece of paper, and he said, this is your final. On one side of the paper, it said, for five points, answer this math equation. And they're like, oh, man, this is going to be easy. It's an entry-level math problem, a freshman level math problem, said no problem. And they flipped the sheet over and it said for 95 points, which tire on the car was flat? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's important we get our story straight, isn't it? Well, hey, we're thankful that you're a part of this story. We really are. And if you're a guest with us today, uh, man, I can't say welcome enough. Can't say how incredibly grateful I am that you're a part of this with us. I've met several people throughout this morning that are kind of on that sh church shopping tour. Uh, a lot of new people moving into our city each and every week. I think I heard the number, 1,700 people are moving in the city of Colorado Springs every month, 1,700 new people. And so as we can imagine, there's gonna be new people joining us. And I wanna just say this up front, like we're not the Holy Spirit. And so our hope and our prayer for you is that if this is your church home, great. We want you to come and be a part of this incredible story God is telling. But we also know uh, that there may be a better church for you, that there could be a church where you can actually make the biggest impact for the kingdom of God. And so uh, we just hope that God will lead you to the right place. Well, hey, I want to uh, continue today in this series called Joy Bomb. Last week, Alan did a great job kicking us off in this new series uh, called Joy Bomb. And he talked to us about several things when it comes to the subject of joy. And one of the things he mentioned last week is how joy shouldn't just be wrapped up around the circumstances in our life. He also talked about three specific things that have a tendency to kill the joy and steal the joy in our life. And he mentioned these three areas, worry, comparison, and scarcity. Now, I think Alan did a great job, but I do believe that this list is incomplete. I believe there's another category uh, that he didn't mention that he should have mentioned because I also believe that the DMV, uh, is a place that can steal and kill our joy. I was there like three to four times in the last four weeks. And so uh, this is where hope goes to die. I read this this way. I'm like, we need to drop a joy bomb in the DMV. I don't know if you work for the DMV or not. If you do, I apologize, but you probably, yeah, you need to come drop a joy bomb at the DMV. Hey, I want to get off really quick on a rant, and I don't typically do this, but I really felt like I needed to do this this morning. So uh, if you'll allow me to, I just need to, I need to do this. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we got a phone call on the church phone, and it was a gentleman that was looking for some help and support of a homeless man. Uh, it sounded like he did some kind of street ministry, and that, I think it's incredible. I love that people are making themselves available to you know, homeless people and helping them get off the streets. Uh, and so Daisha, who's our connections director uh, and oversees outreach here at Trace, called him back, and she let him know that we actually don't support these individual cases. We just don't hand money out. Uh, to these each individual cases. Instead, what we've decided to do as a church is support a ministry in our city called the Springs Rescue Mission. If you're not familiar with this ministry, it's incredible. They do a great job, and for what it's worth, we've given thousands of dollars to this organization over the last few years. And so we let him know uh, that we wouldn't be able to support in this particular situation, but we would encourage him to go to the Springs Rescue Mission. Well, he didn't like that answer. 
And he went on to tell Dacia that he wanted to talk to a man because women shouldn't be in ministry, and he's a real Christian. That's what he said. Uh, and he continued to go off on some rant. So I just want to take a moment, if you'll entertain me. Uh, I want to celebrate some people who uh, make Trace what it is today, specifically the women uh, of this church that oversee individual ministry areas. And so if Daisha Willingham and Abby Randall and Alex Richards and Shelly Costin and Derek Gardner and Elizabeth Harper and Lindsay Coles and Lacey Landry, if you would stand to your feet, if you're in here, I don't even know if you're in here, can we celebrate the women who help make the ministries what they are here at Trace? I'm so incredibly grateful for each and every one of you ladies. I hope you know that. Uh, and I think I'd be remiss if I also didn't recognize one other woman, uh, which is my wife. And if you've gotten to know Emily at all, uh, you know that she's not someone who wants attention. And so uh, she doesn't really want me to do things like this. But I, I need you to know this. And what I'm about to say is a completely true statement. Trace Church wouldn't be a reality without Emily Pennington. The amount of encouragement and prayer and sacrifice that we did and she did on the front end of getting this church started uh, was a lot, uh, <laughs> there's a lot more than you, that you know uh, that she had to give up in order for that to happen. And so can we just honor my wife this morning? Is that okay? She's back there in the corner. <clears throat> well, I don't want to take any more time and talk about the things that steal our joy this morning. What I actually like to talk to us about this morning are the ways that we can actually create joy. How we can actually not just create joy for us, but how we can produce joy for the people around us. Now, lucky for us in the New Testament, a lot of people actually don't know this, but the New Testament, and specifically Jesus, gives us a formula for creating joy in our lives. And it's not complicated, but he, doesn't, he does make it incredibly clear. Now, depending on where you're at in life right now and kind of the posture that you have towards life, you actually might not like the formula that he gives. But nonetheless, if we will follow it, specifically the guidelines that Jesus sets for us, not only do I believe that we will experience more lasting joy in our lives, but will actually become a catalyst of cultivating joy in the lives of others. And I think the best way for me to begin this morning is actually by pointing you to something that you all need to know, that your Heavenly Father, He wants you to experience joy. He wants you to experience joy. Maybe the best place that I could take you in Scripture would be Galatians 5, when Paul's describing to the church in Galatia the fruits of the Holy Spirit. In other words, when we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, He's trying to produce these things inside of us, things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, joy being the second one on that list. And the reason why you need to know that is because if you're a follower of Jesus, yes, you've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is wanting to produce this inside of you, but it's not a passive, like, this can't be a passive approach. In other words, it's not just going to fall in our lap. I believe it's a partnership with God. I believe it's a partnership with the Holy Spirit of things that we also have to do on our part to allow these things to be cultivated in our life. And so I think there's a posture and I think there is a pursuit. But when we do that in partnership with the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, I believe these things will be produced. Maybe the best statement that I could give you to kind of sum up where I'm taking us this morning would be this statement right here. Joy should be a focus well before it's a feeling. Can I say it again? Joy should be our focus well before it's our feeling. And the best passage that I think I could point us to this morning that would put some flesh to this statement would be a passage out of the uh, book of Hebrews. Now, if you're new to church, if you're new to the Bible or Bible study at all, 
Um, one of the things that I want to let you know is that we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. And so oftentimes when I'm teaching, I'll say, well, Paul said this, and Peter said this, and James said this, and Jesus said this. But the book of Hebrews, we don't know who actually wrote it. So when you hear me refer to uh, Hebrews, you'll hear me talk about the writer, and that's intentional because we don't know who wrote this book. But here's what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 12. He says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. I love that imagery. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy, everybody say for the joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and now sits down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. So that, everybody say so that. Because he's pointing, he's putting two things together here. So that you will not grow weary. Like, pay attention to what Jesus did so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. Can I ask you a really honest question this morning, church? Is anybody else weary? Maybe you know the song. It's the most weary time of the year. I've got shopping I have to do, 25 Christmas parties to go to. <laughs> no, that's not a tear. It's the most weary time of the year. You're welcome. Um, no, don't give me charity applause for that, please. I think the argument could be made that weariness, that weariness is the, the opposite of joy. And if we want to learn how to combat and battle the weariness in our life, the writer of Hebrews is saying, pay attention to what Jesus did, which is exactly what I want us to do this morning. And so what did Jesus do? It says, for the joy set before him, for the joy set before him. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know if I could set joy before me if I knew a Roman crucifixion was coming my direction. Like when I set joy before me, it's because I'm going to a water park or I'm going to the beach or Disneyland or a cruise, right? I mean, I don't know how you set joy before you, but like let's, let's look at this with sincere eyes and minds this morning for the joy set before him. Like how in the world could joy be set before Jesus when he knew what was coming? Church, I don't need to tell you that there is not a hint of joy in a Roman crucifixion and flogging. Yet there was joy set before him, so it had to have been that Jesus was able to look past all of those circumstances on the other side of his sacrifice and be able to see something that allowed him to set joy before him, that allowed joy to be his focus ever before it was a feeling. And so what was it that was on the other side of his sacrifice? It was us. Let me say it more personally for somebody who needs to hear it more personally this morning. It was you. It was his love for you. Listen to me. It was his love for you and what he was going to be able to bring to you through his love and grace and mercy and his redemptive qualities and his transformational power that was going to be accomplished through his sacrifice, death, burial, and resurrection. And he was able to look past those horrific circumstances that were ahead of him and allow joy to be set before him because what he knew he was going to be able to accomplish, not for himself, but for us, which is why joy could have been his focus ever before it was his feeling. But we're talking about Jesus here, right? I mean, so what is our takeaway? Like, none of us are, are gonna have to go through a Roman crucifixion. None of us have to save the world through a blood sacrifice. And so when we look at this with honest eyes, it's like, okay, well, this is supposed to be a reflection of what we're supposed to do and our posture towards joy. Then 
Aaron, what's our takeaway? It's a good question. The reason joy could be set before Jesus is because he was looking at joy through a lens of not what he could gain, but what he was going to be able to give. Have you noticed that the worst thing that ever happened to Jesus was the best thing that ever happened to us? Somebody needs to write that down and share it with somebody else this week. The worst thing that has ever happened to Jesus was the best thing that ever happened to us, but only because, and don't miss this, the only reason that was a reality is because Jesus was able to lose sight of himself. Is it possible that we've arrived here this morning and we've gotten this completely backwards? Our approach of joy completely backwards. Maybe it sounds something like this. Let me bring some joy into my life first. Like, let me do some things in my life, but maybe accomplish some things in my life to, that will bring me happiness, that will bring me joy, and then I'll be better suited to think about how I can bring joy to the lives of others. One of the things that I've noticed about uh, this generation, and when I say this generation, specifically the millennial generation, and guys, I know you get like overgeneralized all the time, and uh, I think I might be a millennial, so I think I can talk about this. The reason I say I might be, I'm right on the cusp of either the youngest Gen Xer or the oldest millennial. So let's just go with the elder millennial for sake of conversation this morning. You can refer to me as the elder millennial in the room. But guys, let me talk about us. Can I, can I talk about us really quick? One of the things I've noticed about our generation is that we want to pursue pleasure at the expense of people, other people. It's almost like there's a pressure, isn't there? I mean, just really stop and think about it. It's almost like there's a pressure for our generation to experience as much as possible. And so we pursue these experience-rich lives, and we want to have as many experiences as possible. But what we don't see sometimes is what we're giving up in the process and potentially even the threat that comes into our lives because I believe with this pursuit of pleasure, this pursuit of an experience-rich life, and I'm not saying that's altogether bad, but what happens is it potentially will lead you to an unhealthy focus on yourself. And I believe this is in complete contradiction to the gospel. Maybe you've done some reading in Greek mythology in the past, and you've heard about this guy named Narcissus. Narcissus was distinguished because of his looks and was told from a very young age that as long as he didn't see his reflection, as long as he never saw what he looked like, that he would live long and prosperous. One day, Narcissus is walking down by a spring, and he catches his reflection in the water. And so he goes over, and he becomes so enamored with the way that he looks that he stays there until he dies of starvation because he couldn't get his focus. Listen to me. He couldn't get his focus off of himself. Church, this isn't just about joy because I believe an unhealthy focus on ourselves has the tendency and the potential to bring a type of spiritual death within us all. I think that's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. To lose sight of yourself, to pursue selflessness. Now let me be real this morning. I've been following Christ for a long time. And this is probably one of the hardest things that I've ever done because it's a daily sacrifice. And since most of us are like the rest of us, I bet for you this will be the case as well. If you truly want to follow Jesus and be his disciple and, and be a disciple defined the way that this verse defines it, I believe denying yourself 
Losing sight of yourself might be one of the most difficult things that you ever do as a disciple of Jesus. But listen to me, I also believe to the bottom of my toes that it's also the best way to demonstrate the love of God to a lost and dying world around us. Maybe you saw this video this past Halloween that was circulating where this young man comes up and notices that there's a bucket of empty candy where somebody probably put it out and was like, hey, just take one, but some teenage punk came and took it all because teenagers are the problem for our whole society. Well, you know that. I'm just kidding. And he decides, you know what? He says, Mom, I've got candy. So let me sacrifice something that I have so I can make someone else's story better. Church, this is a picture of the gospel. It may be small and it may be innocent, but it's a picture of the gospel where someone is giving up. Somebody is saying, I can go without so others can go with. And maybe that's why when we see examples like this, that we're overcome with joy, that we're overcome with even motivation, where it's like, I need to allow things like that to be represented in my life more. Because there's something, listen to me, there's something about selflessness that will always point to our Savior. Because that is the embodiment of who he is and who he was. And not only are we better equipped to create joy when we lose sight of ourselves, but joy is created and cultivated within us when we observe acts of selflessness. I think this is why the Apostle Paul made it such a, a distinctive point in his letter to the church in Philippians about what this kind of selfless life looks like. I want to read it for you this morning in Philippians chapter 2. He begins this way. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. So Paul is now saying, hey, there's a way that you can make my joy complete. And so I think it's going to be really important for us to see how he defines that. Well, what does that look like, Paul? How do, how do they make, how do we make your joy complete? He says, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. And then he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interest of others. And in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So what he just did is he defined what it would look like for his joy to be made complete, but then he's going to tie it and associate it to the life of Jesus. Watch what he says next in verse six. He says, having the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He lost sight of himself. Have you ever paused to think about what this actually means? Okay, I'm just going to pause here for a second. Our Savior, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, God himself in the, in the flesh, made himself nothing so that you could be something. While we're all trying to climb ladders, right? I mean, I don't know what ladder you're trying to climb, but it's like, I'm, I'm, I want to climb a ladder that makes me more prosperous. I'm trying to climb the ladder of power or prestige or position or Instagram likes or whatever it is. There's all these ladders that we're trying to climb while Jesus says, I'll climb down the ladder for you. That's the story of Christmas. Where Jesus says, I'm going to make myself nothing so that one day you can have Everything. If that hasn't wrecked you lately, I would encourage you to spend some time just on that point alone. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
See, Trace, I think moments of selflessness not only fill our world with joy, but I think they fill it with hope. And when we make a focus of our lives and when we make the focus of this church about making someone else's story better, about us, hey, we can go without if others can go with, when that becomes our story, we change the world around us. And sometimes we get caught up in this kind of over-sensationalized statement, and you've heard it in several different contexts where it's like, let's go change the world, right? We want to change the world. I really don't believe that God wants you to change the world. I believe God wants you to change your world. The world that you come into contact with every single day. And one of the ways that you can do that, not the only way, but one of the ways that you can do that is by living a selfless life because our selflessness points to a savior. Living a selfless life that desires to cultivate joy in others. If I haven't made it clear enough yet, <laughs> I want to read to you from John chapter 15. In John's gospel, Jesus is going to give you a formula. He's going to give you a definition of what joy is. Not just joy, but complete joy. Here's what he says. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love if you keep my commands. And he's not talking about the Ten Commandments here. Watch in just a moment. He'll tell you what he's saying. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that, everybody say so that. I've told you this so that my joy, this is Jesus talking, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy can be made complete. My command, that command he was just talking about, my command is this, to love each other as I have loved you. How did he love us? Sacrificially. By becoming selfless. By seeing what he could usher into our lives. The things that he could allow us to gain out of what he could give. Bringing us mercy and love and joy and hope and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. All those things are the way that he showed us love. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. To live a life of selflessness. So what is joy? He just defined it. Joy is a focus of loving and serving and elevating others with no agenda, no strings attached. Which is why as a church, we are throwing a Jesus party this Friday for kids with special needs. It's so why we're bringing gifts to people who have been forgotten in two different nursing homes in our city. It's why we're going to bless the firemen of our city that are having to work this Christmas Eve night and on Christmas Day. I'll talk to you more about that next week because we have determined that we're going to be a church that leverages our influence so that someone else's story is better. So I want to encourage you this Christmas season, Trace, that every time you hear the song, or maybe you sing the song, Joy to the World, will you be reminded that God wants you, he's got a job for you, to bring joy to the world around you. Because joy should always be a focus, well before it's a feeling. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, I'm not good at this. And Father, I pray that as we've wrestled through this content from your word this morning, God, that we, would, that we would start to maybe have a different posture towards joy, a different pursuit of joy, and that it would become a focus, that we would 
Think about it being our focus well before it's ever our feeling and that we would remember the words that we've read and studied together from your word this morning from Hebrews and from John's gospel and even Philippians and uh, Lord, that we would be reminded that a big calling of our life is to live selflessly, to not just think about what we can gain, but Lord, what we can give and because of what we give, others will be able to gain. And God, I think most people in this room would probably be able to identify with me to be able to say that they're, Probably some of the bigger moments of joy in my life was when I did set myself aside, when I did lose sight of myself and was able to do something for someone else that brought them joy, that that in and of itself is what allowed me to receive joy. And so God, would you remind us of that in this world that seems to be coming and growing more and more narcissistic? Uh, God, that you would help us to see what a life of daily denying ourself looks like. So we need your help, Lord pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to lead us into a time of response right now. And just to piggyback on what I just said, uh, for those of you that haven't heard me explain it yet, uh, we have four crosses around the room. And those four crosses are on their side for a reason. It comes out of that passage from Luke 9 that I read just a few moments ago. It says that we're to pick up our cross, deny ourselves, and pick up our cross daily. In other words, there are going to be some sacrifices that we're going to need to make in life. Thankfully, it's not going to be a Roman crucifixion. But there's some sacrifices that God's going to want us to make in our life for the sake of someone else's story being better. And so the only way that you can pick up a cross is to lay it on its side first and then get underneath it. And so every week when we go to these communion tables, we're reminded of what Jesus said. If we want to be his disciple, we need to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him daily. And so maybe you can focus on that this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus, we would encourage you to go to one of these tables here in just a moment. It's got a cracker that represents the broken body of Jesus and a cup of juice that you can dip it in that represents his blood that was spilled out for the forgiveness of your sins. And as you reflect on that this morning, just spend some time with the Lord. This is, this is supposed to be, it's planned to be thin space for you and him. And so where do you need to hear from the Lord this morning? Where do you need to take another step or maybe change your posture when it comes to joy in your life? There's also an opportunity for those of you that have come prepared to bring your offering. There are buckets on the tables where you can drop your offering. Just a reminder, we're asking each and every one of you to be praying about how um, you can bring a special offering, the Christmas offering that's gonna go to the future of Trace Church as we plan for the future. Uh, If you'd be willing to pray about that, all I can ask is that you do what the Lord puts on your heart. There's also a time where if you need to, you can go back and write out a prayer request. Uh, Maybe when you heard me talk about weariness, that's the only thing you could think of. Listen to me, I get it. I get it. And so if you need to go back and you need to expose something, if you need to get something off your chest, if you need to write out where you you need to feel the Lord's presence and power and strength right now, feel free to do that. We've also got people in the back that would be willing to pray with you if you'd like that. I'm gonna pray for us right now and then I would encourage you to respond however you see fit. Father, um, I'm so glad we do this time. I really am every week. So glad we do this. So God, we need to hear from you. And so many of us are just moving so fast through life at such a pace that we're not even able to feel your presence. And it's not because you're not there, it's because we're not giving you the space. And so God, right now we're giving you space. So would you show up in our lives? Would you allow us to hear from you in a way that we need to hear from you? It's gonna look different for everybody. And so God, I pray that this is just a thin space for us, between us and you. Pray this in Christ's name, amen. Feel free to respond.